Hi folks, welcome to another special edition Epic Fitness Guru Performance. We do science podcast. Um, my titles are getting longer and longer here. Um, I'd like to welcome back Dr. Lane Norton. Hi Lane. Hey Lauren, how are you? I'm good mate, I'm good. So um, we just briefly had a chat offline and, and of course you've um, been on this podcast uh, before. I've, I've met you also at the, um, at the last annual ISSN conference and um, was very pleased to uh, watch you in action on the uh, uh, sort yeah. of metabolic adaptation uh, roundtable and actually um, which consisted of me repeatedly grabbing the mic from it did people. it was mostly you in fact <laughs> I don't see why they called it a roundtable they should just call it lane's table <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I, when I get when I get passionate about something I tend to, to forget to keep my mouth closed here and there <laughs> Yeah, I have noticed that lately. <laughs> so this this could end up being a Lane Norton podcast. You never know. Yeah. So um, there's lots of things we could talk about, and I know that you're going to be uh, back in the UK because I know you've been here a number of times uh, yeah. to do workshops and, and whatnot. Um, and you're going to be here at the Epic Fitness Summit in May. Yep. Um, the uh, title of your talk. Um, which may well change when you eventually get here, but I know that loosely the title of your talk is Why Your Diet is Doomed to Fail. And um, I think we could have a bit of fun chatting about that. The, um, the people listening, of course, will know that the previous podcast um, or so to this one was Alan Aragon talking on a similar topic about why, um, you know, what makes a, a good diet work. And I'm sure that we can um, really have a different um, a different approach, but I'm sure there'll be some commonalities. But most people will know who you are, Lane, of course. Like I said, you've been on this podcast. You've, you've done lots of great research in various areas, including some really quality stuff on leucine. Um, I absolutely loved your paper on uh, metabolic adaptation with Abby Smith-Ryan, who, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that has sparked some research interest for myself. And in fact, I, uh, my group have just submitted... Um, to a journal we both know very well, um, which is also co-authored with Abby Smith-Ryan on a, on a physique preparation case study. So once that yeah. finally gets accepted, I hope, um, maybe I can talk about it with you guys some more. But um, um, I, I guess because I know you could talk for hours on so many things, I'm <laughs> going to do my best to control you here. So at, at this summit, um, you're going to talk about why diets are doomed to fail. And I know that you're quite, you've got some strong opinions Um I like your opinions because you don't just have good credentials. You're also extremely pragmatic, which is something a lot of people don't do. They might back up what they say with lots of papers and science, but they don't necessarily think about how this stuff applies in the real world. So um, let, let's, let's just get into this. Why, why, you know, why is that your topic? Why do you want to talk about that? That's a, that's a great question. Actually, I'm really glad you had Alan on. I'm glad I haven't listened to it because now it'll be interesting to see uh, not being biased beforehand, what what will overlap on? Sure. Um, which I, I think will probably overlap on a lot of stuff. But um, I actually like like you said, my my background really is in protein metabolism, and I kind of did uh, fat loss stuff on the side uh, because, for a practical sense, I wanted to learn more about fat loss because I was coaching a lot of people, and. How I kind of came to this without giving you the long story is, you know, I've worked with probably over a thousand people in the last 10 years. And what I consistently noticed, especially when I was, when I was younger and, and put people kind of on more restrictive diets and more aggressive when I was younger in my coaching, was that people invariably, a large portion of them tended to regain the weight. Um, and a lot of times regained more than they had lost previous, than they had even lost. And I started kind of, kind of changing how I did things a little bit just without even reading the research on that sort of thing because uh, my, my, th- my, my feeling was always, well, that's great that they lost 20 pounds, but if they gained back 25, I, I did a shitty job. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, I, I just I kind of got that. That's where the pragmatist in me comes in. Mm-hmm. And then I really... Uh, with the advent of um, really what changed things for me was the bikini division in U.S. physique sports because I coach a lot of physique competitors. Um, and I was noticing, especially amongst the women, a lot of women coming to me 
in their quote unquote off season building phase, eating really low amounts of calories and maintaining their body weights on that. And then having a ridiculously hard time dropping body fat. And I, I, when you look back through their dieting history, we're talking about people who have restricted themselves for five, six, seven years. In some cases, extreme cases, even 10 years, kind of yo-yo dieting. Hmm. And I just noticed in those, uh, uh, just observed in those people that who yo-yo dieted, that they just really, really, they, they would carry higher amounts of body fat in general, and they would have a really hard time losing it. I mean, the amount of calories they would have to lose on was, was way lower than you would, would predict based on any equation out there. Um, so anyways, I started looking into the, the research literature to see, okay, well, is everybody just lying to me and underreporting? Which at first was my, my, my feeling was that, okay, well, these people are, are just, aren't, just aren't telling me the truth. And then after sitting down, having conversations with a lot of people, um, and, and just coaching more and more, I started to think, well, I don't think everybody can be lying to me. Um, and so I started to look into the research literature more, more, about, a lot more, and what I found mirrored um, what I had kind of observed without realizing it was that if you look at, so if you look at, everybody thinks we have a weight loss problem, and we really don't. Um, I read a study that showed that I think it's six out of every seven people who are obese at one point lose a significant amount of their body body weight. I think it's like 10% or something like that. So they lose the weight, but very few of them are, are successful at keeping it off. Um, if you look at how many people maintain a weight loss of, I think it's 15% or greater for more than two years, it's less than 80%. Um, I'm sorry, it's less than 20%. Give me eighty percent fail to keep it off, and then if you stretch that out to five years, I think it's something like ninety-five percent regain the weight, mm. um, and about a third to a half of those will actually regain more than they lost. So they're actually worse off than before they even started dieting. Um, if you'll notice in the United States, at least um, the U.S. government has moved away from saying weight loss. They don't really say that anymore. They say weight management, mm. and it's because they've looked at the data. And the data, the data basically says, and this is why my diet is such a provocative title, why your weight loss diet is, is going to fail or doomed to fail. Um, they've looked at the data, and the data says if you don't want to have excess body fat, never gain it in the first place because you're not getting it off, at least not in the long term. Now, I don't actually, uh, in my heart of hearts, believe that once you've got on a certain amount of body fat, you can't lose it. I think you can. I think it just becomes... I think your body is going to fight very hard for homeostasis once it's established a higher uh, kind of body fat, and it's just going to make it really, really hard for you to keep it off. And I think that I think uh, Dr. Uh, Dan McLean at the University of Denver in Colorado said it best. He said that as diligent and as persistent as we have for weight loss strategies, the weight regain prevention strategies will have to be just as comprehensive, redundant, and persistent in order to counteract that effect. Hmm. And so that's the, that, that kind of really sparked my interest in this whole area of research. It's fascinating. Um, I, I've heard you, or well, I've heard you say this one way or the other a number of times, but when you, when, you, when you keep it simple and you just make the statement of, it's quite easy to lose weight, it's keeping it off that's the hard bit. And, and when you think about that, that's rather interesting because whenever you, you look at all the strategies that exist to get people to lose weight, lose body fat. It, it has nothing to do with keeping it off. It's all about no. all, all this stuff about what, you know, people arguing about do calories count. It's all about mm -hmm. carbs. But I think you're right. I mean, we've all experienced this ourselves. We all know how to lose weight, but it's bloody hard to, to, to keep doing whatever it took to keep it off. And then, like you say, exactly. and I want to explore this a bit because I am obsessed a bit by the whole metabolic adaptation thing. I know we did a whole podcast on it, but it's worth coming back to. It. Is, sure. is this, this thing that you've mentioned time and time again, which is this sort of body fat overshooting situation, mm. which not only is it easy in some way, I use the word easy carefully, Lane, but it, it's easy to lose the weight. It's even easier to gain it back. And, oh, it's yeah. e and it's even easier to gain back more than you lost. And, it, and it's kind of a, 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 a sort of a crazy scenario that, that has so many parameters to it that goes beyond 
the basic principle of energy balance. And I, and I, you know, I mean, as a, as a scientist, Lane, let's, let's, do, let's just quickly just tackle, before we get into why it's doomed and the issues of being a human being in the real world and all that stuff, oh. I mean, fundamentally, why do we get, why do we get fatter? What's the, what's the basic science behind that, you think, in, in yeah. basic terms? So you set it up nicely. There, there's definitely psychological aspects to this, and we can cover those later. Mm. But in terms of pure physiolo- physiology, um, I, the, the biggest thing is the way that most people diet. And the way that most people diet is, what, what do they tell you? Well, I'm cutting out carbs, or I'm doing paleo, or I'm doing physician's weight loss, or I'm doing HGC, which are all very restrictive, very, very... Um, exclusive diets, you know, you're not allowed to eat certain foods uh, because that's easy for people because they say, okay, well, I'm not, I'm just not eating bread or I'm not eating carbs or I'm not eating, you know, pick your group of foods. Um, now, what happens when you're on those very low, now people think this is where people get the misinformation about specific, they think there's magic foods that creates a calorie deficit and people lose weight. And so they say, oh, see, it was the bread I cut out. It's like, well, no. You, you, you cut out yeah. 600 calories out of your diet and you lost weight. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, they diet very restrictively and, you know, on low calories. And what happens is once they're done, once they hit their goal or whatever it is, and most people are dieting for some kind of goal, um, whether it be a weight loss goal or it's a wedding or a vacation or, or, or a contest or whatever it is, they're dieting for some kind of goal. Um, and so once they hit that goal and they say, okay, well, I'm done, um, what happens is that, as you've mentioned a little bit, as you diet down, your, your metabolism adapts to that. How, how many people out there, and I always kind of talk to the audience because they, they will make things click in their own mind. When you've done a diet, have you ever just lost 30 pounds or a substantial amount of weight and, or done it for you know, over 12 weeks and never had to adjust anything? And typically... That's not the case. Um, you have to, you'll have sticking points and you kind of have to adjust calories down in order to get through those. Um, and so what, what that is, what those sticking points are, is that your metabolism is adapting to your lower calorie intake. It's, it's a good thing from survival perspective. It's trying to keep you alive. It's trying to prevent you from starving. Um, if you could just cut 500 calories out of your diet and lose one pound per day until, the, until now to oblivion, uh, we'd all die of starvation, you know? So obviously your metabolism adapts at a certain point. And I don't want to give people the wrong idea. A certain amount of metabolic adaptation is completely normal and just part of the dieting process. But what happens when you, the level of adaptation is going to be proportionate to how long you're restricted and how severely you're restricted. So if you go on a 1,200-calorie diet for, you know, months and months, your metabolism is going to be pretty slow by the time you get done. In fact, a case study by uh, Dr. Jeremy Linicky, Dr. Chris Foss, and Dr. Lindy Russo looked at a competitive bodybuilder who maintained most of his muscle mass through a, I think it was a 24-week prep, and by the end, his metabolic rate was cut in half. He went from 2,400 uh, kcals per day to like 1,280, mm. which is, which is uh, for somebody who has over 185 pounds of lean body mass, unbelievable Um, that's that's really and 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 i was highly involved in this study because i was actually prepping this person Mm. and this was actually me not to their calories didn't even get that low but they were doing a lot of activity were under quite a bit of stress and you could see i mean that that to me is amazing that it got that low um and part of that is as you get leaner and leaner your metabolism is going to get slower and slower it's not just how low your calories are, it's also how lean you get. The leaner you get, the harder your body's going to fight. So what happens? We, we've got this state where um, fat cells are very sensitive. They're, they're ready to kind of soak up nutrients. They're very insulin sensitive. They've got low leptin. Uh, and you've got a low metabolic rate. And what happens when people are done with the diet? They go, oh, thank God, I can eat whatever again. And they go back to how, eating how they were before. Only now, whereas maybe when they started the diet, their maintenance the calorie level was say 2000 calories a day and they could handle if they ate 2000 calories a day, they maintain their weight. But now it's 1200 calories a day and they start eating 2000 calories a day and they regain body fat very rapidly. And so I've seen, I mean, I've from, from our listeners out there, 
Um, how many times if you try to diet down, you've lost a substantial amount of weight and you just went back to eating however you want, not even going crazy, but just eating quote unquote normal. Mm. Uh, and you can literally watch the body fat come on day by day. Um, I remember after my first, my first show, uh, which I dieted for 12 weeks, I remember thinking after one week of back to being back to eating normal and thinking, I, it doesn't even look like I dieted. Like I look like I'm 10 weeks out right now. Mm. How the hell can I work so hard for 12 weeks to have it all undone in a week? You know, and so part, a large portion of that is your metab metabolic rate adapting to those lower calories. And then when you throw a bunch of calories back at it, you know, of course you're going to gain body fat pretty rapidly. Yeah, it, I think it's interesting how people like to approach this stuff. I, I, I know for sure that we, you know, we, we do suffer from issues that relate to the, um, the availability of information from, you know, the Twitter sphere, the, <laughs> the Facebooks, you know, the, the, the bros in the, in the gym and, and so on. But it seems to me that there is a certain amount of logic involved here that seems to not get involved. Uh, I, 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 you know, fundamentally, it does strike me as there's a sort of a crazy madness that exists in all of us human beings, and we like to do everything with such extremes. Yeah. Um, and therein lies sort of the problem. I mean, I know as a as a nutritionist, I I often get people coming into my office um, who are like, yeah, I want to lose twenty pounds uh, for my wedding. Oh, yeah, that's you know that's perfectly possible. When's your wedding? Uh, it's in two weeks' time. Uh, <laughs> you know, and of course you get the bigger extremes with the sort of clients that you work with where right. um, typically people are, I mean, how often, remind me, how often does a typical physique athlete, uh, not, 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 what, not how often should they compete, but how often do they, do they realistically uh, compete per year? I, not, I mean, I would say with men, it's typically they'll, at least from what I've observed, and I have no no empirical data to back this up, but from what I've observed, uh, men will usually pick out a block of shows in kind of a four to six week time frame, do those shows and be done with it. Yeah. Uh, unless they're you know somebody who is who kind of keeps doing shows because they're trying to qualify for something, uh, whether it be a pro card or if they're a pro competitor trying to qualify for a championship, that sort of thing. Uh, women tend to. Kind of do shows year-round. I mean, they'll do mm. spring shows and fall shows. And uh, I actually think that can be a big problem, too, just because now you're, you know, we're talking about people who take, they diet for 16 weeks, and then when they get regain all that body fat in two, three weeks, uh, they immediately start dieting again. So they're dieting, you know, 35, 40 weeks out of the year, which can be a real problem. Yeah, and I, I, you know, obviously, you, you can, un I mean, I use the word logic. I mean, you understand some people's, basic logic and understanding where they're like right i need to eat loads and gain loads of weight because i want to i want to slap on loads of muscle mass and you know they uh, uh there are obviously some issues that relate to that but they constantly bounce up and down with with this yeah. and uh, you know i i don't work so much with physique athletes um, although like i said i've just done a case study very similar to the one that you guys did and Jeremy Lenneke and that lot so you know it'll be interesting to see what you think of that but um i work a lot with um uh, athletes that um, have issues with their weight, so um, boxers, um, yeah. UFC fighters, that sort of thing, and they can they can be in a situation. Yeah, they can be in a situation where they need to be able to fight um, at relatively short notice. They do want to be lean because there's an intimidation. If you're if you're a heavyweight boxer, but you're just sort of big and fat and you're all wobbly, oh, you? you know, right. it's not so good. Um, and if you're a sort of light heavyweight boxer or a mid, you know middleweight superweight type UFC sort of guy, you know you, you can look pretty intimidating. So the point though is is that there are other consequences of constantly gaining or losing weight, drops oh, in yeah. performance, and various other things. So what I've always tried to do with my athletes is have them in nearly perfect shape year round, and then have subtle. Um, adjustments as we come into competition where we're we're not looking at any drastic things now Absolutely. logically you know why why do we feel like if we if we put this into sort of a, a slightly more normal quote unquote whatever that is normal person's context it's like yeah i want to look good when it's beach season or so maybe the way we would periodize that thought process is there's only certain portions of 
of the year. But why why is it that you think these people, whether athletes or bodybuilders or whatever, feel that they need to have these extremes? Why not be in not perfect shape, but near perfect shape year round? Well, I think with men, um, you know, there's that push to gain more muscle. And so I, I think that, you know, some people also feel like they've got to, I've heard this before and I want to completely discredit it right now. People say, oh, at the end of a diet, you know, you're very primed to gain, to gain muscle mass. So it's, it's like a very it's an anabolic window. Um, yes, there is an anabolic window for fat tissue. Um, your fat tissue is extremely sensitive. In fact, it's quite frankly greedy compared to muscle tissue. You, you are much more likely, and the research shows this from, from Blue, you are much more likely to gain body fat rapidly than you are muscle mass. Mm. Uh, muscle mass is going to take a very slow amount of time uh, to come back. And actually, if you look at how like, – you're talking about the absolute maximum amount of weight you can deposit in muscle tissue. It's like 10 grams of amino acids per day, which once you account for body water and everything, uh, ends up being about 25 pounds of lean mass a year. Yeah. Okay. And that is, the, that is somebody who's never lifted before, who starts lifting up weights and does everything correctly. Mm. You know, you get these people who are like, oh, I want to gain, you know, 10 pounds of muscle and they've been lifting for five years. It's not going to happen. That's not how, I don't care how much you eat, it's not going to happen. You're too close to your genetic max, unless you obviously add anabolics in there. Mm. But even then, I mean, you know, as you get closer and closer to your genetic maximum, um, you know, it, it, it becomes difficult. Um, mm. So, you know, like for me, for example, I've been training for 15 years. Uh, the idea that, you know, drug-free, the idea that I'm going to go in and put on five pounds of muscle in a year is completely asinine. It's not <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. And so, you know, what, what benefit to me is it to go out and put on 25 pounds of body fat to maybe get an extra pound of muscle? Because guess what's going to happen when I have to go lose that 25 pounds of body fat? I'm going to lose that pound of muscle and probably more. So I'm better off trying to maintain a lower body fat and have less body fat to lose going into a contest and then be able to retain more of my muscle mass. And that's, I think a lot of people forget about kind of from a pragmatic standpoint, they forget about the kind of 365 days of the year point of view. Um, you know, they, they, like I tell people, I'm like, look, there was a guy, I just talked to him and he was like, well, uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel like my, my, my off-season was as good as last year because I'm only 168 pounds. This guy's a short guy. I'm only 168 pounds, and last year I got up to 175. And I said, yeah, but you have way less body fat now. You, mm. you, you, your composition is way different. You're going to have less body fat to lose, and we're going to be able to retain more of your muscle mass. And that's why I tell people. So uh, I think this, uh, this is something I, I kind of – been thinking about throughout this podcast and having the tip mm. of my tongue a lot of people know i'm a big proponent of flexible dieting mm. and that's you know not and there's a lot of basically misinformation on flexible dieting but a lot of people will ask me you know lane you're you're, you're trying to say that pop tarts and pizza and ice cream and all this stuff is 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 better for you than like sweet potatoes and broccoli and I, no, no, no that's, not, that's not what i'm saying mm. that's not what i'm saying that's not what i'm saying at all what I'm saying is if having that one slice of pizza and accounting for it and, and, and you know, and, and, and staying on a deficit is better than trying to fully restrict yourself from ever ne saying never going to eat food again, this food again, and going out and having a blowout because that's exactly what's going to happen. And we see it all the time. I'm sure you see it. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, it's yeah. basic psychology. The, the harder you try to push something away, the more you're going to want it. I mean, uh, that's that's why when people come to me and they say, "Oh, I'm on this new diet. I, I cut out carbs." And I say, "Well, that's great. Um, so you're never going to eat carbs again ever in your life." Well, well no, I'm I'm going to eat carbs again. Okay. Well, guess what's going to happen when you come back to eating carbs? You're going to get regain weight really massively, right? No, oh, I'm never I'm never going to eat. I'm 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 doing paleo. Oh, okay. Well, you're never going to eat gluten again. You're never going to eat bread. You're never going to eat pasta. Like, come on, give me a break. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so this kind of this kind of uh, mental masturbation people go into about what diet is the best and they kind of you know get down to these little petty nuances of, well, this food is better than this one because of these micronutrients and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, okay, maybe it's a little bit better. But if you can't stick to that diet, it's not worth a damn. And that's mm -hmm. what I always try to kind of impress upon people. And it's not that 
you know, you know, people ask me, how often do you have a cheat meal? And I said, well, I haven't had a cheat meal in seven years. And they go, what? Huh? What? I said, well, yeah, well, I eat pizza and ice cream and all that kind of stuff whenever I really feel like it. But I account for it in my macronutrient daily intake. And so to me, it's not a cheat meal. And what I see with a lot of people is, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have these kind of, I hear this all the time, um, they'll go off, have their cheat meal, or they'll be done with their diet, and they'll start eating bad foods again, and they'll really go off on kind of a food bender or a binge, and they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm never eating these foods again, I'm never, I'm never doing this again. Come on, of course you're going to do it again. Stop it. And uh, my friend Corey Probst, who's a PhD, in, or a PhD candidate in psychology, she made a really good point when we were having a conversation one time. She said, um, you, 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 you do not want to pick a plan that requires the maximum amount of willpower. Hmm. And that, that kind of sounds weird to some people. And she says, because you don't get to, it's not like you get to pick where your willpower comes from. It's not like you have willpower for your kids and willpower for your marriage and willpower for your job and willpower for your diet, willpower for your training. All your willpower kind of comes from the same place, right? Totally. So when do, we, when do we see people really starting to bomb out their diet? It's when they have a death in the family or when they're traveling or when they're out of their element and there's something stressful that happens to them. And so you need a, di- you need a diet that requires the minimum amount of willpower to stick to. That's what we should be shooting for. Isn't there, uh, as you were saying that, I was thinking like if we take a slight paradigm shift in our thought process and use some other, because this is, this is a relationship, isn't it? Our relationship with foods, our relationship with ourselves, and absolutely, we, we all know that. You know, guys listening, that the, the, there are girls you know you want to be with, but you know you don't want to marry them. <laughs> and, and I think, I think, and girls that are listening, it's the same thing. There are guys you know you want to be with, but you don't want to marry them, and it's vice versa. And it's kind of like the diet. You know, what if you want something to work long term? There's certain criteria that needs to work, and I think. I think if you think about that, that's where an awful lot of us get it wrong, don't they? And I've, I've, I've heard, uh, I think this comes from, again, this might be your assistant um, that said this, uh, but something along the lines of, if you cannot imagine yourself doing this diet, you know, not, not next week, not next month, but, you know, years from now, long term, it's probably not going to work. Um, exactly. And people don't. They think they think as far away as tomorrow or the weekend. Like, oh, I'm gonna, yeah. I'll keep this up until Friday, and then I'm gonna hit the, hit the booze yeah. and the pizza, and then the weekend ends up, you know, going from Friday night all the way to you know Sunday night. And <laughs> yep. that's so, exactly right. That's mm. so he leave. And that what I always tell people is you cannot, as much as we try to, you cannot separate physiology from psychology. Mm. You cannot do it. It's there's we are. We are, like you said, we have a relationship with food. And just as important as trying to lose body fat is having a healthy relationship with food and not deifying certain foods and not vilifying certain foods. Mm. You know, too much of anything can be a bad thing. Totally. Um, You know, and and by the same token, you can eat almost anything in moderation and and it'll be fine. You know, and I'll see people, you know, with whatever, they'll say, well, did you know that this toxin is in food in, in this particular food? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and yeah. my response to that was like, "Well, yeah, but water is also toxic if you consume enough of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, show me what the dose that you're worried about." Is. Protein's toxic too. I, I, everything yeah. is toxic. I mean, you get carbohydrate. <laughs> there's a there's an LD fifty for sucrose. You yeah. know, so mm. um, I think we need to keep everything in perspective. And, and like I said, I think Alan. I don't want to speak for him, but I, I, I've seen enough of his posts. I'm pretty comfortable mm. commentating, and he can, if he hears this and he chirps in, I'm completely off base. Feel mm. free to correct me. But um, he he made a post where he said, you know, out people were telling him, Alan, you know, you're saying that meal timing doesn't matter, and you're saying that food selection doesn't matter, and blah blah blah. And he's like, no, 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 all that stuff matters. Mm. It's just that how much does it matter? Exactly. And mm. I always talk about the hierarchy of what's important. You know, if we it's like, um, it's like a budget, right? So if we take care of our mortgage and we take care of our debts and we take care of our payments and we save some for retirement, all that kind of stuff, can, can we go out and, and spend money on a, on, a, on, a, on a car if we've got some left over, if, it, if it's like a fun thing that we want? Hmm. Well, sure, right? But we can't ever let that, buying that car, you know, prevent us from paying our mortgage, right? So it's the same thing, right? in terms of like people say, oh, Lane, you're just saying hit your macros and that's all that matters. 
well, it's not all that matters, but it's the most important thing is to hit your, your daily targets. That's the mm. most important thing for, for nutritional success. I'm not saying meal timing doesn't matter, but if you having trying to make a certain meal timing fit causes you to not be able to hit your daily macros, then it's not worth it because you're sabotaging your most important thing in your diet for something less important. Uh, same same thing with people, you know, say, well, you know, for, for people who criticize flexible dieting, so, well, well Pop-Tarts, that, that can't be good for you. Well, is it the best food, you know, for you if you ate a ton of it? No, absolutely not. You know, it's very calorie dense and high in sugar. But, you know, if you try to cut that, if you try, if you, or like me, like I'm an ice cream guy. I love ice cream. That's that's my big that's my big thing, right? Oh, you and me so, um, yeah, I love <laughs> yeah. ice cream. Mm. I mean, if you told me I had to cut an ice cream out of my diet tomorrow, I'd be like, okay, well, mm. that shit ain't happening. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and so, so for me, like, if I tried to cut that out, what invariably would happen is I would end up a few weeks from now with my face buried in a container of ice cream, you mm. know? So, you know, yes, it's important, but now I'm sabotaging you know, my entire diet because I'm trying to cut this one food out or, or certain kinds of foods out. Whereas the fact that I could incorporate them in moderation is, is, is completely fine. And, you know, is it as good as having some chicken, sweet potato and, and broccoli? I don't know. Maybe it's half a percent better mm. or something like that. But if it keeps me sane, it keeps me on the diet, it keeps me consistent. I always say I'd rather have somebody... 95%, 100% of the time, as opposed to somebody who's 100%, 70%. Yeah, I agree. And that, you know, that's why I, I kind of got a reputation for the word context, because I mention it in every podcast. And it is all yep. about context. And, Absolutely. You, you know, or it depends or whatever. I mean, yep. I, it, people are obsessed by the little things, but they never really focus yep. on the big picture. And like you say... You, you know, Lord. I think I'm going to jump in real Please quick. Please do, yeah. So, sorry, uh, but I think that a lot of that is because people want to believe there's a magic solution. Mm. They want, they, they really, really want to believe. It's like look at all these these things out there for finances. You, you know, you know, work five hours a week and make six figures from home with no investment of your money. Mm. It's like people buy that. They you know? do. Yeah. Are you are you kidding me? No, there's not some magic solution. The people who, by and large, make a lot of money in this world work really, really hard. Mm. And, and the same thing, the people who have success with dieting work really, really hard, and they, they're consistent with it, you know? Um, and that's the big thing. And, and people, But people want to believe. I mean, I was over in Australia, and a, um, I don't want to say names, although people can probably guess, um, Somebody had come through before me giving a seminar tour, and this woman came up to me and she said, "Well, what do you think about this? This person said that I, the reason I wasn't losing fat on my legs was because I, my makeup isn't wasn't organic." <laughs> Dead serious. Oh my God. Dead serious. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I'm I had to be like, okay, <laughs> um, yeah. but people will want to believe that because it's easier to believe something like that and say, oh. That's it. That's this magic thing I've been missing as to why I can't get the physique I want. As opposed to hearing, you know what? This is really, really hard. It's going to require a lot of consistency on your part. It's going to require accountability on your part. And it's probably going to take a really long time. People don't want to hear that. Mm. No. I, you know, that's, that kind of reminds me of the, 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 the scenario of distorted logic that goes people's brains when you start to raise this business of, um, adding um, uh, uh, butter and um, uh, you know uh, uh, medium chain triglycerides etc to coffee. Um, <laughs> now, yeah, if I stick someone in a uh, metabolic chamber or uh, you know do an RMR or something, do you know, and, and you you give them uh, some of this um, buttery coffee, you might see an increase in fat oxidation. However, the amount of fat and calories that you put into the coffee is greater than the amount of exactly. uh, fat that's being <laughs> oxidized. So it's kind of like, it's like turning up at a gas station or, you know, we call it a petrol station with your engine running and um, <laughs> expecting, as you're pumping in the gas, expecting the uh, it to make no difference, you know. And obviously yeah. too much is too much. It's going to start pouring out the, the spout and get all over the place. And then, of course, in the body that ends up storing this fat. And yet intuitively that's just obvious. 
yet people do it with their diet. And, yeah. and they start, like you say, they like, well, I'm going to detox. Uh, I'm going to eat, <laughs> you know, oh, well, that's another subject, obviously, the oh, whole yeah. detox thing. We, uh, maybe we'll avoid that one. That could go on for ages. But that's let's, a can of work right Lane, let's, let's bring this back to the, you know, obviously there's that phrase of it, if it fits your macros. Now, yeah. you and I, uh, I also believe generally in that concept. I just don't believe in how it's been marketed or understood. Mm-hmm. Um, in the context of 24-hour energy balance, it, it, in the bigger picture, it doesn't make much of a difference. Um, sure, right. you can talk about nutrient partitioning, and obviously we're believers of that, and higher protein is probably better and so on. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it is about 24-hour energy balance. Where I think you're right with this is... It's this whole psychological, emotional relationship with food and the impact that probably has on the neurobiological stuff, you know, the uh, leptin and ghrelin and all that. The factors that drive your behaviors to overeat yeah. are, are kind of where we need to go with this. And, and our obsessions with things in life, um, you know, the cults that exist, whether right. it's a, a religious cult or a dietary cult. Yeah, that's um, very true. Yeah, I mean... So, at its most fundamental level, why, why, why is why do you believe this is, you know, the way forward from a pragmatic point of view? Excellent question, and uh, you know what? Maybe one day there'll be something else that comes up, and or another strategy and, and whatnot that that, uh, that I'll I'll think is a little bit better. But mm. for right now, this is the best I've come across. Um, so so basically, a few things. If you look at the, there's no direct literature. Well. There is a little bit of direct literature, okay? So I'll bring up a couple things. First off, in the, the inhane study of, of, of diets. So this is kind of, um, this was done like I think 10, 15 years ago, and they looked at a large sample of people, I think 5,000 people, who are the outliers in terms of diet. So they actually lost weight and kept it off for a long period of time. Hmm. And they, what is, they looked at what was the number one uh, kind of association, associated behavior with that. And the number one associated behavior with that was self-monitoring. They self-monitor, which is exactly what, uh, if it fits your macros, is. You're self-monitoring your macronutrient intake, your protein, carb, fat intake. And then uh, in terms of what else is is associated with um, success in the diet is sustainability. And so if you, you tell somebody, okay, you can still have all the foods you love, you just have to account for them. You know, a lot of times while that's, that I'm not saying I'm not saying this is an easy way to lose weight, right? But, but there's challenges with, with anything, and part of this is learning how to track your macronutrient intake. Now we have online counters and all that sort of thing right now. It makes it way easier than it was 10 years ago. Um, and then there was actually a guy named Westenhofer. I'm going to give full credit to my friend Lauren Conlon who found these papers. Uh, so Lauren is actually interestingly she's a, an IFBB bikini pro who won her pro card at nationals this past year. So I'm giving her a shout out. Um, and she is a flexible dieter and, uh, and doing her master's at Dr. Bill Campbell's lab in the University of South Florida. Oh, I know Bill. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so Lauren, very, very bright. And uh, she sent me these papers from this guy, Westenhofer, and it was very, very interesting. So he looked at uh, flexible versus non-flexible. He called it rigid dietary controls. And in his first experiment, I'm not sure if it was his first, but the first one I saw, their hypothesis was actually, so they had people come in and they gave them I think it was sweets, like cookies or something like that. And it was, um, they gave them a small amount and said, you have to eat, you know, at least this amount. It was, let's just, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it was like something like one cookie. You have to eat at least one cookie. Um, but you can have as many as you want, but you have to eat at least one. And so they had people who flexibly dieted versus rigid control. And they actually thought that, that the people who were rigid control would be better able to resist having more cookies. Or, or sweets. And what they found was the exact opposite. Um, they found a disinhibition effect. So the people who, who were rigid, rigid control dieters, once they had had that one little bit of sweets, um, they tended to just kind of go on a binge. Um, and then they also, so they took that and they went a little bit further. And again, this is all associations and correlation is not causation, as I always mm. like to point out. So we have to be careful about how much we emphasize this data, but they looked at flexible versus rigid control dieters on, on things like BMI and waist circumference and that sort of thing and found that people who flexibly dieted 
had lower waist circumference and lower, lower BMI. So at least it's associated with that sort of thing. Now, I think where you're, you make a good point is a lot of people have the wrong idea of if it fits your macros. And I think a lot of that's from social media. Um, and the reason being that nobody likes to, you know, if they're just eating asparagus and chicken, they're not going to, they don't share that in social media. That's boring. Mm. But if they go out and have ice cream and, or brownie or, or anything like that, you'll see all this come up on social media. And plus, I think they like to, it's, it's kind of counterculture. Yeah. So whenever you kind of, whenever you are really into something, like you said, there's dietary cults and IFYM is no different than this. Mm. Um, they'll say, you know, look at all the junk food I'm eating and still losing weight. It's kind of a gotcha to people who eat clean. And what I'll always tell people, uh, I'm like my friend, Dr. Jeremy Linicky. I don't care if you want to do if it fits your macros. I don't. I don't have a horse in the race. I think it can be very useful and I think it can help you if you do it correctly. But uh, I, I don't have any emotional attachment to it. If you want to do whatever you want to do, that's fine. I just get tired of people spreading misinformation is where I get passionate. Um, but I always tell people, so let's go back to our budget analogy, right? And let's look at somebody who makes $50,000 a year. Um, should they go out and buy a $50,000 car if they make $50,000 a year? Probably not, right? Unless they've really been saving for a long, long time, Okay. Um, but now somebody who makes a million dollars a year, if they take care of all their expenses, their mortgage, all that kind of important stuff, if they've got money left over, can they go out and buy a $50,000 car? Well, sure, right? I mean, they have some room to play with. It's no different with, um, with your macronutrient intake. So if I've got somebody who's contest prepping, they're very, very low cal, you know, they're down to low calories. They're on less than a hundred grams of carbs a day and, and like 40, 50 grams of fat. I mean, are they going to be able to eat some Pop-Tarts and still hit their protein, carb, fat allotment for the day and still get enough fiber in? No, they're not going to be able to do that. And also, they're not going to want to do that because they'll be very, very hungry because it's not very filling, mm. right? And so they're going to, and what I, I've observed this is that as they get lower and lower in their calorie intake, they will select more nutrient-dense foods, more fiber-dense foods. Now, somebody who is... Is has a really good metabolism. They they can, and I've seen this people who can eat, you know, three thousand calories a day and lose weight. If they take care of their, they hit their protein, carb, fat intake, and they get enough fiber in, and all their, they get their micro, they get a good array of micronutrients. Can, can they have a pop tart or some ice cream or something like that if it's if it fits? Well, yeah, and and and, and so I, I find I find it weird that people want to kind of, you know, extremize. Is that a word? <laughs> Make this it is now, extreme. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They want to make this very extreme. I have people come to me and say, well, IFYM I interests me, but I don't want to have to eat junk food. Mm. They're like, you don't have to eat junk food. You can eat whatever you... The point is if that fits. you're not restricted. <laughs> the point is that you're not restricted. If you want to yeah. eat clean, because people say, well, I don't do... I don't do uh, I'm going to go off on a rant. People say, <laughs> well, I don't do macros. Yeah. Well, that's like saying you don't do gravity. Yeah. Okay? You do macros. Yeah. You, you just you just may not account for what you're taking in. Okay? Yeah. But trust me, you do macros unless you're like eating tree bark or something. Okay. Yeah. So so that always that always um, gives yeah. me a good chuckle. But again, it's at the end of the day, it's just a system of self monitoring. And and that's all it is. And there's no magic to it, nothing like that. It's just about having a detailed scientific way to track your intake. Yeah, I'm afraid People just, they like their pixie dust, don't they? And Absolutely. They, to be honest, you're just damn lazy. It, 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 you know, you look at anyone that's got a fantastic physique, they put some serious hard work into that. You can't just sit there with your hand in the popcorn or whatever and wonder, you know, why it is that you haven't got a great physique. It's because you should be, you know, either in the gym or outdoors or, you know, it takes work. Uh, sure. And even even I do not condone um, steroids in any way, and because I work mostly in elite sport, you know, it's cheating and all that stuff. But even those folks still have to work hard. Oh, of um, course, you know, and there's no two ways around it. It just you know you got to choose your yeah you got to choose your battles. And I think some people they just get lost. Um, and they they believe things for the sake of believing it, don't they? And well, absolutely. Look at look at look at paleo, for mm, example. Mm. I'm sure I'm 
about to piss off 50,000 of your listeners or whoever whoever has ever No, fortunately, I, I don't think yeah, I don't think we've got those kind of listeners, so. Okay, well, yeah, yeah. but people will become very very it's it's not about the science, it's not about the evidence, it's mm. about feeling like you belong to something. Yeah. And again, IIFYM is guilty of this too. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just I don't think it's the program, I think it's the people. I think people get really bought into something and they they we care more about being right than getting the right answer, if yeah, that makes sense. That's a good point. And as, as a scientist, I have changed my stance on things over the years probably more than a dozen times on different topics. And people will, I'll get it all the time, especially with fasted cardio. Because I don't, I don't, I tell people, hey, if you want to do fasted cardio, that's fine, but there's no added benefit to it, there's no advantage to it. And people will go back and say, well, Lane, look at this article you wrote, you know, back here where you recommended fasted cardio. I say, yeah. At that time, based on the evidence I had, they hadn't done long-term studies on it. I thought that it would be, you know, the best thing. And the they did longer-term research and didn't see actual differences in fat loss, and so I changed my stance. That's what a, a good scientist does. If you're doing the same thing five years from now, ten years from now, if you're doing everything exactly the same, then you haven't been keeping up with the literature, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I think it's always I, – I think there – I think a certain amount of science – is humility and admitting that you don't know everything, um, and that's that's the that's that's the big thing is um, especially like with athletes. Um, mm. uh, my clients, I'll say all the time, "Hey, I don't know about this. <laughs> I'm not sure about this. You know, or, or there's there's no data on this. You know, and uh, I don't. I think a lot of times, uh, like you said, I think people want the easy explanation. You know, okay. and sometimes it's. Um, actually, one of my favorite quotes of all time was Bertrand Russell, and he said, um, the problem with this world is that fools and zealots are so sure of themselves, and wise people are filled with doubts. And uh, I find that to be very, very true. No, it is. It really is. You know, the more, the more I work with people, the more I live on this planet, and the more I become educated and talk to folks like you and, and so on, the more I realize, you know, how, how important it is for us to always recognize that whatever we think is right could also be wrong absolutely you know and, absolutely and, and that takes some it takes some work it really yes. does but you know well, and i'll always yeah. always emphasize to people you can never prove anything in science that's no. one of the fundamental cruxes of science of the scientific method is nothing is provable no. okay you're just supporting hypothesis with data and people yeah. give me this weird look like what are you talking about yeah. and i'll take a, i'll take a pencil and i'll drop it yeah and i'll say gravity that is not proven it's yeah. not. There could be a theorem that comes out tomorrow that disproves that. Now, it would be very heavily scrutinized. Um, but something like gravity, we just accept as true because we have an overwhelming amount of data to support it. Right? We have an overwhelming amount of data to say, if I drop this pencil at this altitude from here, it will reach the ground in this amount of time. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over and over again, that has been supported by data. Yeah. But you know what? It, Something may come out tomorrow. Look at much of Einstein's stuff. Much of Einstein's theories were disproven. Yeah. So I think we need to, like you said, that's why it's, you have to be very, very cautious whenever you talk about research and, and, and um, you know, you never, never. See, I'm, I'm doing it right there. But let, I think you said it earlier. I forget what you said. You said you're very, you know, careful when you, when you uh, talk about certain data sets, and yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. And uh, I'm guilty of that too, of getting over overzealous on a certain data set and and overemphasizing. You know? but uh, yeah. we have to. I think at the end of the day, we have to care more about getting the right answer than we do about being right. No, I agree. Look, I think I think at its most simple level, because we we're right at the end. We could talk for ages, obviously. And I, yeah. think, I think I think at the most basic level, if if you're walking around. And, and maintaining a decent body composition, particularly from a body fat level perspective, not an extreme of any way, but a decent body composition where you can feel pretty comfortable in your swim shorts on the beach. If that in itself is an extreme struggle that induces anxiety, trouble, stress, depression, you know, any extreme behaviors or, or whatever then you probably got it wrong <laughs> absolutely you know? absolutely that's uh, you know people i lauren i want to say one more thing yeah please mm. i have people all the time that will say i just want to get healthy mm. i just i i, I want to be healthy i want to be healthy and well okay well what's your blood pressure 
What's your heart rate? How's your blood lipids? You know, how are your, how can you go out and, and, and run a mile in a decent time? You know, can you, can you, do you lift weights? Do you exercise regularly? Well, then you're healthy. Yeah. You know, um, having a six pack does not equate to being healthy. No. Um, and in fact, look at the amount of people who run marathons who are overweight. Absolutely. There, there, yeah. There's, there's actually, there's actually good data that, so, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but fat loss and fitness are only associated. It's not that you can't be fit if you have body fat. You absolutely yeah. can be fit. Yeah. Just look at, you're talking about heavyweight boxers and, and UFC fighters. There's plenty of them who look kind of pudgy, but they can run circles around the guys who are ripped. Mm. You know? And, and, and so, you know, you have to understand that genetics matter when it comes to what your body looks like. I'm not saying you can't develop a decent physique, but everybody's ceiling is going to be different. Yeah. No, well, I, I always explain to my clients, and um, particularly those that are trying to get really lean, that you know whatever you're doing that's making you lose weight means you're losing stuff. You're not just losing fat. You might be losing muscle, but you might be losing nutrients. You might be losing you know, stuff from your bones. I mean, yeah. you're losing stuff. It's not just body fat. You're not just losing what you see. You're losing stuff you can't see. And that's possibly more worrying at the extreme levels. Absolutely. And that's why you have to be very careful with how you diet. I okay. always tell people, don't take how you diet lightly. Mm. Be very, 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 I, I don't want to make it you know, the boogeyman, mm. but you know, take care and, and, and diet in a sustainable, slow, predictable manner. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think, you know, your desire to lose weight may end up losing more than just your weight. And that's absolutely, you know, quality of life and your life even, which does happen yep. frequently. So. Yes. Yes. So, um, look, listen, that, that was great. Uh, fascinating conversation as always. Um, I, I know folks can come listen to you at the, uh, Epic fitness, um, uh, conference that's going to be part of the body power event. Um, here in, in May. You can learn more about that at epic-summit.co.uk. Uh, you can find all kinds of stuff relating to Lane, his uh, research papers and blogs and videos, coaching services, etc., all online. But the, the main place to get you, I guess, would be your website, wouldn't it? Which is... Yep. Um, that Biolane. Yeah, biolane.com. And your links to your... Twitter and, and so on. Um, it, it, it's always entertaining to talk to you, Lane. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your time with us and I look forward to uh, uh, seeing you uh, here in May. Perfect. All right, cool. well, looking forward to it, Lark, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you, sir. Okay, folks, that's the end of this special Epic Fitness Summit We Do Science Group Performance podcast. I, of course, am Laurel Brannock, and you can learn more about the podcast and the regular podcast series at guruperformance.com.